0: Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. We're continuing our Tartan Talk series by having a conversation with Brandon Johnson. Brandon is a senior golf course architect and vice president with Arnold Palmer Design. Brandon's going to discuss what the last two years have been like since Mr. Palmer's passing. He's going to discuss some of the work they're doing all over the country, And he's also going to discuss his route to becoming a golf course architect we know that you're going to find brandon's thoughts very interesting and he's got quite a backstory but before we get going with brandon we'd like to thank better billy bunker for supporting this podcast better billy bunker is not only a giant supporter of the american society of golf course architects better billy bunker supports a number of industry efforts including the work of golf course superintendents so we're glad that better billy bunker is on board, and we're glad that Brandon was able to take some time to join us. Well, Brandon, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you on the podcast, and we're recording this podcast close to the two-year anniversary of Mr. Palmer's death. Just what has everything been like at the firm over those two years, and what has it been like carrying on the legacy of Mr. Palmer during that time?
1: Yeah, well, one, guy, thanks for inviting me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And uh, we have had a busy two years. Um, you know, we, it's it's been obviously it was sad with the, the passing of Mr. Palmer. I mean, he was our our leader, our friend, and our, and our mentor. But uh, you know, from that there was an outpouring of of support. Um, and you know, you really got to see how people loved Mr. Palmer, loved what he stood for, loved the brand. Um, you know, I got to find out that it was everyone had a really cool Mr. Palmer story. It was always positive. Whether he met him or her or not, um, You know, people were, were touched by him. So you know, it's been an honor and a privilege to uh, you know, work with him directly, and it's certainly an honor and a privilege to continue on um, you know, pushing the game forward just as, just as he would, just as he asked us to do when we were uh, working directly for him. So for the last two years, yes, we've been quite busy. Um, You know, two years ago, we were finishing up the first golf course at Lakewood National, uh, which was a a new golf course outside of Sarasota Bradenton for Lennar Homes. Uh, And that has been quite successful, uh, not only in rounds played, but in uh, home sales for Lennar. And uh, they were actually awarded a Web.com event. The Suncoast Classic will be played there February 11th through the 17th of 2019. So... Um, You know, that's from a a course when uh, Lenar came to us and said, hey, look, we want a golf course that's going to be fun uh, for our membership who are really, you know, mid-handicap players, you know, 15 and above. Uh, They weren't looking for, you know, a a championship golf course to have the PGA Tour come see that work and say, hey, this can host a a web.com event is, I think, quite a feather in our cap.
0: That's kind of interesting because a lot of golf courses is, as everyone knows, in the '90s and 2000s, were built I mean, with real estate in mind, and then that kind of slowed down. And now you get an opportunity to build one of those courses again. What are some considerations in 2018 when you're when homes are involved and golf's involved? What is it like mixing the two in this era of golf, Brandon?
1: Yeah. Well, when we first sat down with Lenar and they came to us with this opportunity, uh, you know, we we both companies wanted to. Put out a different product. Uh, I think everyone understood what happened. You know, with the 70s, 80s, 90s, when you know there was a big boom and golf was, was kind of surrounded by homes on either side. And so, you know, from the first step of the land plan, and uh, we talked with them about you know how we can position golf on that piece of property, work with some of the engineering and, and site constraints, which was you know it's a pretty flat site in Florida, having to drain it. Uh, You know, water is a necessity, and water isn't too far below the the surface of the dirt. I mean, you you dig two or three feet, and you you get the groundwater. Uh, But being able to to do that, accommodate their housing needs and requests, but have a a very fun, playable golf course that, you know, really you start to get a core golf feel on the front nine using the wetland boundaries and lakes to, to create that buffer between golf and the real estate and really amenitize real estate. You get a lot of water to golf views, water to golf to wetland views, and so you kind of switch that old model up and and think about the project a little bit different, and I think we came up with a a pretty compelling product in the end. One that obviously produced some some good golf and some great home sites as well.
0: Is there a second golf course that's going to be involved long-term, Brandon?
1: There is. It was a 36-hole facility, and you know, it's kind of funny that they were thinking forward and we're thinking forward i mean golf is is not dead you know golf is is well it's alive people are playing people are enjoying it um and you know they had the opportunity to build pretty large development and we're going to do the second golf course at Lakewood national and that should start construction later this year
0: so arnold palmer designs based in orlando where else are you working in Florida right now, and how much activity is there in the state where you're based in?
1: Yeah, well, here at Bay Hill, uh, we had, uh, Stan Leighton and I were working on the Bay Hill Short Game Project and Practice Facility. So, you know, here's Arnold Palmer's home and and a golf course that, uh, you know, hosts a PGA Tour event every year. Uh, But, you know, the family saw the opportunity to augment the facility, provide, you know, this wonderful two-acre short game area not only for the membership but for the pros that are going to come and play you know every year for the tournament so we were busy working on that project which um, was kind of a, a tweak of holes one and nine of the, the charter course to accommodate the short game practice area that has four greens and seven bunkers of various depths and design styles from a flat bottom kind of seth Raynor, cb mcdonald bunker to a a synthetic revetted bunker, um, and, you know, and other bunkers with various liners and, and and technologies inside of them. Grasses around the faces, so it's it's been a great project for us to to work here at home, but also experiment along with the superintendent on, on the different grasses and technologies behind you know some of the features that we have out on the short game area.
0: And I bumped into at PGA National last year. We got to spend some time. Uh, you reopened the Palmer course last fall, so you're also working in the southern part of the state.
1: Yeah, yeah. Actually, at the end of 2016, we did some work at Frenchman's Reserve, uh, and then actually last year did the work at the PGA National, which was a really fun project to work on, getting to go back in and do kind of a bunker restoration, renovation, worked on some of the greens and the green surrounds, um to add some intriguing and strategic contours in them. Um, and obviously from an agronomic standpoint, uh, they were able to, to go in and, and, and strip off the top layer of, of the greens mix and, uh, and, and put some new greens mix down and you know, fix drainage where they needed to. So it's, it's been a win-win, not only on the playability and strategic side, but I think agronomically uh, what they were able to achieve with that project. Uh, you know, the golf course seems to be getting better every day.
0: Brandon, how much wear is put on a golf course in Florida? They're playing uh, year-round. The grasses are pretty aggressive. How important is it for these Florida facilities, especially the resort ones, to kind of freshen themselves up in a timely manner?
1: Yeah, it's really a, a year-round growing season in some areas and you have a very aggressive Bermuda grass, 419, or you know, a lot of courses are going to the celebration where it's growing non-stop and you know, keeping bunkers in their original shape, waste bunkers in their original original shapes, tees, um, you know, fairways, green surrounds. You know, everything is it's on an accelerated schedule, really. So, I think it's important for these clubs to kind of keep after their facility and continue to make improvements and and upgrades. Obviously, you know, a place like PJ National, while we had done a bunker. A small bunker project back in 2007. It wasn't as extensive as the one that we did, and you know, prior to that, not a lot of work had been done on that course. So there was a lot of technology that could be used, um you know, not only on the say on the, the bunker renovation side, but even in the grasses. You know, at PJ National, they, they switched from the old 419 and, and did a grass conversion um, to Celebration and put a different grass on the greens, and you know, we were able to come in and make modifications to fairway lines and even some contours. So it's really important for these clubs to continue to keep their product up with the
0: latest and greatest. Speaking of that, let's go on to the other side of the country. I believe you're working at Silver Rock Resort, which is one of the most interesting municipal golf courses I've ever been to. I think they actually, when I was there, they had valet parking at a municipal golf course. That's, yeah. a, that's, yeah. that's quite the, the property, and explain the work you're doing there in the Coachella Valley.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of fun. It's unlike any Muni that, uh, that I've ever been a part of or seen or played. Uh, it's, a, it's a great site right up against, you know, the mountain range there in the city of La Quinta. And uh, if, I think if we were to take a step back, you know, the firm did the work in the er, in the mid-2000s, and it was part of a larger development. There's actually going to be 36 holes or, you know, another golf course and some residential developments and. Hotels. Well, everything stopped when the economic downturn came, and so that you know the, the city had been looking for you know a partner to kind of continue that development for, for quite some time. So uh, the Robert green Company came in with Montage Hotels, and and they reconfigured the old master plan, which uh, impacted our golf course. So we were able to go in on the back nine and make some changes and tweaks to accommodate this new expanded resort development that, that was going to complete the city's original plan and uh, allowed us to really go in and, and make some other changes to the golf course and then what we think make it better um, you know we added a pretty fun and demanding par 3 11th uh, that takes advantage of a, an existing waterfall that you know you have this development that happens and everything stops and there's a little bit of land left over and as we're walking around you know all of a sudden in the in the overgrowth you find this pretty amazing waterfall just sitting there. It's been sitting there for, for years, so we were able to incorporate that into the into the design, shift some some T locations and sight lines to take advantage of the of the adjacent mountain views, uh, you know, move some other greens to open up playing areas and, and converted what was the old fifteenth to the fourteenth as a par five and, and kind of take the canal out of play and, and open everything up and create a pretty fun dynamic par 5 with some interesting contours around it in the second landing area.
0: Okay, so we're really going to jump around now, and you're working at a place called the Royal Golf Club, which sounds like it's something in the United Kingdom, but it's really not. It's a Midwest course that had a previous name and quite the reputation. What are you doing there in Minnesota?
1: Yeah, well, and, and FAD was really the lead on, on the Royal Golf Club do the podcast with him, I'll let him uh, explain everything that happened there, but it was uh, kind of a co-design with, with Annika Sorenstam as well, and we were able to convert an existing golf course uh, from 27 holes to a, a pretty fun and dynamic 18-hole experience, and uh, we're also doing work in Minnesota at the TPC of Twin Cities, and that's what's currently happening, so I'm working with uh, Steve Winsloff with the PJ Tour Design Services. M Championship that was an upgrade from the Champions Tour event that was just held in, in August to uh, a full-fledged PGA Tour event in July of next year.
0: Yeah, and that, that was just announced a few months ago. Did that change your work at, at all when you found out it was going to host a PGA Tour event? Did that change what, what you were doing and some of your thinking?
1: It did. Funny that you know, if we go back to, to Lakewood National and that you know the request of the client was to you know, build a golf course for you know their membership. You know, have varying levels of proficiency, and and you always have tournament golf in the back of your mind, but that certainly wasn't the focus there. And you know, we were able to do some some really fun and interesting things at Lakewood National, uh, but you know, there was a lot of width, um, a lot of large greens, um, you know, some some what we would call fun and challenging pin locations, some in bowls and, and some that repel, but you know, a lot of gathering compositions. You know, working at PPC Twin Cities and solely thinking about pga tour players and what it what kind of design challenges them um the the, you almost think backwards in a way or or, or think in an opposite form certainly in my conversations with steve and you know their desire to look at you know proximity to the hole and you know what is going to challenge them you know a, a 60 yard wide fairway um just isn't going to challenge a Rory McIlroy or a Dustin Johnson or a Brooks Koepka. Um, you need to have a premium on on driving accuracy. So a lot of the work there has been to strategically narrow fairways. Um, so one, you're not just penalizing the the members at PPC uh, Twin Cities, uh, but you are challenging you know the PGA Tour players in and where they hit it and and where they hit it has has changed. Um, you know it's anywhere from Two hundred ninety. You're thinking about three hundred and forty yards out, um, you know, fairway widths, bunker placement. You're trying to utilize the contours that are already there to to kind of help strategically align these fairway lines.
0: Brendan, do you think it's possible to design a golf course and construct a golf course in 2018 that that can test a tour player but still be very playable for the average golfer?
1: I do. I do. I, we talk about. You know the work that we did at Bay Hill in 2009, and how it, you know, it does that every day. You know, for 51 weeks out of the year, it is a members' golf course, uh, and it's it's very playable. It, sure, it's demanding. Sure, it can be hard. Uh, but then, for that one week out of the year, um, you know, they turn it over to the pros, and yes, Rory can get hot and go 18 under. And you know, there's no golf course in, in the world really, unless it gets completely tricked up that you're going to hide it from the hot hand of a PGA Tour or LPGA professional. I mean, they're just too good. But, uh, you know, I think day in and day out, through setup, through design, sure, courses can and should, um, you know, host PGA Tour events, but also be be there for the average golfer.
0: How important was the average golfer to Mr. Palmer, and how did the average golfer factor into – a lot of the decisions that the the firm was making over the years.
1: The average golfer was very important to, to Mr. Palmer, and he, he stressed to us uh, to make our designs um, cater to the average golfer while also catering to, you know, a, a more advanced player. Uh, I think through his playing career, obviously playing in a lot of programs, he saw firsthand, you know, how amateurs performed on – all kinds of golf courses. And, uh, you know, he got into the business because he loved the game and wanted his design company to kind of be his way of giving back the joy that the game had given him. And I think, you know, he saw how much that, and I love the game, uh, how much we were enthralled with it, um, and and really wanted us to, to kind of carry on with those the same Thoughts and ideals, uh, where the where the industry has gone, width and strategy and angles. I mean, this was certainly these were things that he was he was always talking to us about. Uh, you know, it, golf should be fun. It should be beautiful. Um, you know, fun for the average player can be. You know, a fifty yard wide fairway have some width. Um, you know, let people enjoy hitting driver without losing it in the trees. You know. If they barely missed a shot, it was it was always something that he was thinking about.
0: So we've kind of gone backwards. We've talked about professional golfers. We've talked about average golfers. Uh, for the early part of your career, Brandon, you worked a lot with beginner golfers. Explain your work with the first tee. A little bit about your background and how you've reached this point in your career.
1: Yeah. Well, one working with the first tee was it was great. Um, I had the the fortunate pleasure of working with, uh, Tom Lawicki and, and Joe Barrow and, you know, Joe Barrow ended up being a, you know, a great friend and mentor, uh, and the, and the teams that both of those people assembled, um, were second to none and we had a lot of fun. And I think even to this day, uh, you know, we all call who' we're all friends. Um, and, you know, I still talk to them on a fairly regular basis and, enjoy playing golf with it, with everyone at the first tee so it was it was a great experience um you know how did that inf- help my design career it was exposure um you know it was great for me to kind of take my love and passion for golf and golf golf course architecture and the game and and really be a part of a, a an influential movement in the game at the time to to open up this game, open-up access, um, but uh, it was also exposure for me on the design side and that there were a lot of projects of varying scopes uh, all over the country. You know, we just talked about you know, the projects that you know, we've been working on, whether one was in the desert, you know, one's in Florida, one's up in the Midwest with uh, a whole host of different issues of muck and sand and water, but, you know, the first tee gave me that experience, too, whether it was... You Working in New York, working in in Phoenix in Arizona or Tucson, or you know, looking at projects in California, or even looking at projects in Alaska, uh, you know, down to Florida, and it was this constant repetition of you know budgets and plans and routings and talking with all kinds of people uh, you know, all over the country. It was it was, a, it was a great experience.
0: You described yourself as a, a golf nut. How did yeah. the golf itch develop in, in your life?
1: You know, I had a friend growing up, um, Brian Munn, who asked me to go play golf one day, and we went to the little rinky-dink, it was Sharon. we called it Sharon International, a little nine-hole golf course that unfortunately no longer exists, but uh, you know, we went out there and played one day and uh, you know, kind of dribbled the ball around the hard pan and got done, and the said, well, now what are you going to do? I said, we don't know. I said, well, why don't you go around again? And we kept playing, went back the next day and, and played and played and was just, just hooked. Uh, you know, I remember that, that first round getting to the ninth hole, and I think, uh, you know, I hadn't whiffed all day. And I think I said, yeah, I don't think I've whiffed all day. You know, I've been been kind of buttoning around, and what did I do? Whiff, whiff, whiff. And, and that, it, that got me, you know, right there, um, that the game was, it was physical. It was, it was mental. Um, You know, we were outdoors. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I've just had this love affair with the game ever since. Uh, And I just can't get enough at
0: times. When did you realize you can make a career out of it, that there were thousands, if not millions, of jobs involved in golf? When did you realize that it could be more than just a um, hobby and it could be a a long-term career?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, truth be told, I, I wanted to be a PGA Tour pro and never got good enough, never sniffed it. I did an internship at the PGA tour. And for me, that was probably the first time I realized how big golf was. And that was the first job that I had. I mean, to fund this golf habit that I had growing up and even in in college, I and mean, I used to mow yards. Um, and that gave me the most cash with the most amount of time for me to go to the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, it was my junior year in college. Um, applied for an internship at the PGA tour and got it. And, um, you know, it was I was in the design portion, but they had people in marketing and business and competitions outside operations, and it was an exposure for me to what the rest of the golf industry is. And, you know, and that, that first internship turned into another internship in the office, turned into um, uh, another internship on the construction crew at TPC Deer Run, uh, which eventually turned into... Uh, job with the first tee that was housed out of the
0: PGA Tour Design Services office. And then how did you link up with Mr. Palmer? I mean, I guess for a golf nut, that's the ultimate.
1: Yeah, well, you know, in that first internship that I had in 1995, um, Ruffin Beckwith, who was over the World Golf Foundation, or the World Golf Village at the time, and it was was in its planning stages, knew a lot of the people over in the Arnold Palmer Design Office, and uh, I remember he took me over there and, and made some introductions to people. But, uh, you know, so in that second internship, oddly enough, the TPC at Twin Cities was was in the planning stages and plans were going back and forth between the tour design office and the Arnold Palmer design office. And I opened up the door one day and who did I see? Fad Layton. He had some plans and said, said, Here are the plans. Can you get me on TPC, TPC Sawgrass? And as an intern, you know, we have privileges there and, and, uh, this wonderful certificate that they would give you so you can get you know friends and her family on it. Sure, so we went and uh, got him on TPC go, Sawgrass, played golf, and and that really turned into a, a great friendship and, and and a golf buddy. Uh, you know, the two of us have been able to travel the world together and study and play some pretty amazing golf courses.
0: Yeah, and, and now you and Thad are partners at Arnold Palmer Design. What has it been like for you? Uh, having a leadership role and how do you demand de, uh, balance the demands of a leadership role with the work you still love to do in the field?
1: Yeah. You know, it, I think it goes hand in hand. Um, both of us believe that in order to build the best golf course, um, it takes time in the field and a lot of time in the field from, from beginning to, to the end all the way through. So, you know, I, I look at it it, that our time on site tending to all of the necessary details, making sure that everything is being implemented correctly, that we're responding to everything we need to respond to on site, Um, is also time for us to to interact directly with our clients. Um, And they see us dedicated and passionate and in love with what we are doing uh, for them and involving them in the process when we can. And... uh, you know, I think that goes hand in hand in and, and, you know, how hands on we are, how dedicated we are to what we do, how we service our clients and our projects and, and, and how we run the business that, you know, when someone is hiring us, they're getting our full attention. Um, and, and they're gonna they're gonna see us a lot. And we're gonna have a lot of fun doing it.
0: Were you worried about the future of the firm after Mr. Palmer passed away or were you, you and Thad pretty pretty confident that you could maintain the business and keep it very successful.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, it, it was a sad time for us. And, and any time a, a firm, you know, loses its founder, its, its leader's its namesake, um, it, it's not easy. Um, but, you I know, mean, I think if you look at industry, I mean, you know, other firms and name brands, you know, Disney or Ford or Hilton or Marriott, um, you know, those brands continue on. He spent a lot of time with us, uh, you know. Mentoring us, um, you know, giving us the confidence and, and the trust uh, to go forward, and you know, he gave us a lot of freedom while he was, you know, the leader of the company. Uh, but he gave us tremendous amounts of architectural and design freedoms to, you know, push his thoughts and ideals forward. Uh, you know, he didn't, he, he didn't want us to to just follow him. You know, he expected us to. To take his overarching principles and, and continue to move forward. So, in essence, you know, we were—he had trusted us with his brand and his legacy while he was while he was alive, and uh, so it was just natural for us uh, to to continue on. I mean, he really chose us in the end uh, to to continue that forward. I mean, it's a huge responsibility. It's a huge privilege. Uh, I feel so fortunate with him and, and alongside him and, and for him um, but uh, we're also enjoying you know pushing things forward doing exactly as he would have done uh, you know I, I can remember you know one day after work he was down in his in his shed here in in orlando and you know there's all kinds of clubs and balls and, and things i mean he was a tinker um you know it was a new grip it was a new shaft it's a new putter whatever he needed to do as a player to get better and that's what he was going to do and you know that's how he viewed design it was, it was always forward thinking and he would expect the same of us
0: what have you learned about the power and the reach of the brand in the last two years
1: a lot that we already knew mm-hmm. um people love mr palmer uh, people love the brand bl- the brand it's powerful um you know, it, it, it's spotless, uh, it's about integrity, authenticity, um, kindness, um, excellence, um, and, you know, people still seek that, you know, you know what client would want to be associated with that. I mean, those are kind of the, the ideals and, and, and foundations that we you know, work from every day. So, um, you know, that continues on. That's kind of what we've learned, you know, alluded to earlier, you know, all the the Mr. Palmer stories. I mean outpouring was, was tremendous, and it still is to this day that that, that people have this connection um, to him, to what he stood for, um, and and I think people are pleasantly surprised with the work that we are doing today. Um, you know, with with the designs that we're doing, how we are approaching, you know, our craft, the game, you know, how we creatively solve. Solutions and problems that, that our clients might have. Um, yeah, I think there are a lot of positive results and you know, a lot of the fun that's being had on the courses that we've done over the, over the last several years.
0: You've done a variety of projects in a variety of different places and you've met uh, some incredible people through your work and through the game of golf. What is something you haven't done, Brandon, that you'd like to do in the future here? In golf? Yep.
1: Or in life in general. <laughs> oh, geez. This is a huge list, a huge list. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it, if I'm truly dreaming, sure, I'd love to win a Masters. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't want to do that? <laughs> Set up my own dinner there? Um, no, but uh, as a designer, um, you know, continue to work on, on some great projects. Uh, continue to, to push it forward. Um, you know, we'd, I'd love to work on you know, one of these windswept dune sites somewhere and 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 just completely immerse myself for however long it takes to you know, build a masterpiece. I mean, we do that every day, but, uh, you know, it's always fun to do that on one of those special sites. Um, personally, I, I'm a father now. Of of two wonderful children, and uh, you know, I hope I'm a good father to them, uh, a good role model. I hope I can pass along some of the wisdom that I might have gained. uh, Hopefully, steer them away from some of the mistakes that I've made. Um, And if I'm really selfish, I hope I have two uh, great golf buddies later on (laughs) in life. (laughs) Would have done my job for the industry if I can do that.
0: I'm sure you could get them on some courses.
1: <laughs> we try to. But, you know, one of the, the satisfying things is, you know, bring them out here to Bay Hill. And they've, you know, they were interested in the short game project. And, you know, there was one Saturday I was out there. They they laid a piece of sod. And um, Joe Hancock, who was shaping with us, um, got them in a dozer. And, you know, they really enjoyed that. And they were actually out on site at one point during Lakewood National, um, you know, seeing all the big equipment and dirt moving around, and, and you know, they, they really enjoyed it. Um, I don't expect for them to be golf course architects, but uh, I would hope that they would love to play golf. You know, if I could give them an opportunity to love and enjoy this game the same way that I have, um, you yeah, know, it would be great.
0: And I guess Orlando and Bay Hill, in particular, is a pretty interesting place to be based out of because you probably have people coming from all over the place to play golf and enjoy it.
1: We do. I mean, it's it's fun. I mean, a lot of people come in and out, so we get to to host people here at Bay Hill. Uh, it's always a good excuse for us to to get out and test the product, if you will. Um, you know, but it but it helps it, it helps being here. One in travel, and it, there are a lot of direct flights um, out, but also a lot of direct flights in. So we get to see a lot of our friends, family and clients and stay connected with them quite easily.
0: Where, where do you see uh, yourself and Thad taking the business? Where do you see our Palmer design in f- five to 10 years?
1: Yeah. I, always pushing forward, um, you know, creating courses and facilities that, that people love that are fun. Um, and I think we're always going to hone our craft, um, whether it's through research, uh, playing and seeing other great architecture, um, and as, as a designer now, um, the, the data that is out there is pretty uh, amazing. You know, some of the work that we're doing at DBC twin cities, some of the work that we did do at Bay Hill was, was influenced by ShotLink. You know, obviously that's on, on the high end PJ tour pros, um, But, uh, you know, there's a lot of data and technology out there now throughout the game, whether it's on the agronomic side, um, you know, from the playing side, equipment. You know, we now know if someone swings at a certain swing speed with this kind of ball, it creates this spin rate and the ball goes this distance. Um, And I think that's going to inform, you know, how we design, how to make a, a golf course more playable for the slower swing speed player than for someone who's swinging at 115 miles an hour. Um, you know, that just wasn't information that people had at their fingertips, you know, 15, 20, 25 years ago. So I think, you know, if you look back at, at, at older courses, whether they're in our portfolio or, or other courses outside of our portfolio that we're doing, I mean, we can start to utilize that, that data and that info and, hopefully it positively influences you know, the design decisions that we're, ma- that we're making.
0: Well, Brandon, it was great to, to catch up with you. Thank you so much for joining the podcast, and hopefully we cross paths again soon. I know it was a lot of fun at PGA National spending some time together last year, and hopefully we get to do it uh, someplace warm this winter.
1: Oh, yeah, looking forward to it. And if you are in the Orlando area, give us a call.